welcome to another chapter of Family Fiction's Christian Fiction Bookshelf Podcast, where we give you a deeper look into your favorite Christian authors and the inspirations, research, and methodology that goes into writing the books you love to read. Here's your host, Jamie Vaughn. Hi, everyone. I'm Jamie Vaughn with Family Fiction's Christian Fiction Bookshelf Podcast. On today's Family Fiction Christian Fiction Bookshelf Podcast, brought to you by Ravel, a division of Baker Publishing Group, is Sarah Sundin, and she is here to talk to us about her new book coming out February 7th called The Sound of Light. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi, Jamie. I am so glad to be here. Good. So I want to dive right in. Tell me what The Sound of Light is about. Sure. Well, The Sound of Light is um, set in Denmark in World War II mm-hmm. and follows Baron Henrik Elefeld, who becomes disillusioned with his um, playboy lifestyle when the Germans invade. And so he takes on a secret identity as a humble shipyard worker so he can row messages for the resistance across the waters to Sweden. Um, meanwhile, Elsa Jensen is a um, an American physicist who doesn't want to leave Copenhagen because she has a position at the prestigious um, Institute of Theoretical Physics with Niels oh, wow. Bohr, who is an actual Nobel laureate. And so she doesn't want to leave. And um, she gets roped into printing resistance newspapers by her very um, fiery best friend. And meanwhile, she gets intrigued by this shipyard worker who comes to live at their boarding house. And she senses there's more to him than meets the eye. Mm-hmm. So why did you choose Nazi-occupied um, Denmark for the book? I've been wanting to do this for years. I've this is my fifteenth World War II novel, so I've I've covered a lot of bases from um, the air war to the naval war to um, England and U.S. and Germany and France. And but the stories about Denmark—it's a small country, but there's some big stories. Yeah. Stories of the Danish resistance and then the rescue of the Danish Jews are just outstanding stories. And I honestly think the rescue of the Danish Jews is just one of the most inspiring stories to come out of World War II. And I wanted to write that story. And so I just, I came up with the idea of um, Henrik and Elsa and I knew I had my story and I was super excited to tell it. So 15 books on World War II. Where did that passion come from? Uh, mostly from my family. My grandfather was a pharmacist mate in the Navy that was a medic. They, the Navy doesn't call anything by by regular names. My okay. son is, so I can say that. <laughs> I'm a former Navy, Navy mom. So anyway, um, so he was a medic in, in the Navy in World War II, and he told stories. And a lot of men came home from the war, and they dealt with what they'd gone through by not talking about mm-hmm. it healthy and normal way to deal with the, the problems they had. My grandfather dealt with it by telling stories. And he was a good storyteller. He could tell the most harrowing stories. He could tell the funniest jokes. Um, everybody just listened to him. And his brother was also a storyteller. And his brother was a B-17 bomber pilot. And boy, did he have stories. So I grew up surrounded by these family stories. And my parents are avid readers. And they read a lot about World War II. Mm-hmm. So just very natural when I had an idea for a historical novel and I, I just knew it had to be historical. And I thought, well, World War II will be easy. <laughs> I'm very glad I was naive because if I'd known how much research it takes, I would not have continued with it. But as I delved into it, I really developed a passion for research and then a passion for the World War II era mm-hmm. and I getting story ideas. So, yeah. So you touched on earlier about the Danish resistance. What about that inspired you as well? 
Well, I think what's so interesting about the Danish resistance is that, you know, in most of the countries that were occupied by the Germans, in fact, all of the countries that were occupied by the Germans, the Germans were harsh and brutal. I mean, that's that's the story. We all know that. That's what the Nazis were like. And so resistance was very natural because when somebody's brutal to you, you act out. But in Denmark, the Germans saw the Danes as fellow Aryans. So they treated them really nicely. They let their king remain on the throne. They let their government still remain in power. They were still watching over things, but they had some freedom of the press. They they had ample food. They didn't have a, a Gestapo presence for years. So it was just, they basically had it pretty good other than not being, you know, having Germans there and obviously knowing they weren't totally free, but in general, they had a fairly good lifestyle. So the fact that any resistance rose is, is really a testament to their freedom loving nature of, of, of the Danish people that they felt they, even in fairly good living conditions that they wanted to resist. And then it had a snowball effect. And this actually, we see this in all the occupied countries where the Germans were actually more lenient in the beginning, but then as, as resistance increased, the Germans cracked down. And then the more they cracked down, they bumped up like that. And we saw that happen in Denmark too. It just took a little longer. And it really didn't start rolling until 1943. The The resistance was resisting, but they didn't really become popular until 1943. That's when the the Germans really started cracking down. They made a very unreasonable demand of the Danish government and the Danish government resigned en masse. And so the Germans then started cracking down and then they decided to round up the German, the Danish Jews. At that point, um, there had been, um, there were no anti-Semitic laws in Denmark. The Jews were never required to wear the yellow star. And because the Danish government that had still been in place said, we will not have that. We do not have a history of anti-Semitism. Our, our Jewish neighbors are our neighbors. They are our fellow countrymen and you will not mistreat them. And so, <laughs> so the fact that the resistance developed was outstanding. And then there's something about the Danish resistance that I just really like. And that there was this, this will, this, oh, they really hesitated to cause destruction or damage that would hurt people and blew up a building called the forum which was the largest exhibition hall in denmark in fact i think it's on all of scandinavia huge place with a big dome and all that and the germans took it over and we're going to make it a military barracks so the resistance decided to blow it up in august 1943 and um but they waited until the workers were out for their lunch break <laughs> so that no one was in the building and then they right. blew it up so they they were they had this real um, concern about about life, mm -hmm. and um, a lot of the resistance groups were a little more willing to um, have some you know damage on the side. But the Danish resistance was really very careful, and then they were very organized. Um, they most of the countries you had all these competing resistance groups, and Denmark started that way too. But then they united, and they had what they called the Freedom Council, and it was. Um, a group of all the leaders of all the different resistance leaders um, groups, the resistance newspapers, and they worked together and they worked for the allied cause and very interesting um, situation there. So I was able to touch on uh, quite a bit of this in the sound of light. So it was 
um, really interesting story to write and to be able to highlight some of these lesser known stories of World War II. So you said that both of the protagonists are in the resistance. What can you tell us without giving too much away about what they did? Yes. Um, so Henrik is, he was an Olympic rower. So he um, is, is buff. He knows how to row. And he, um, and it's only 10 miles from Denmark to Sweden. Now, calm waters, but there were a lot of people who rowed across that. And so I created this story of him and he rose messages for the resistance across to Sweden where there were some Danes who were involved with um, being in contact with England, with the allies. So it was a way for them to get information out. There were quite a few um, resistance members who figured out ways to get messages to Sweden so they could get the information to the allies. And so I just made Henrik row and that's his job, but he also gets involved. He works, as I said, he works in a shipyard. So he gets involved with shipyard sabotage and um, he then gets because he is of who he is, he gets roped more and more into some leadership roles, which he resists for some personal reasons. And meanwhile, Elsa, um, because <laughs> now she's a physicist, but as all women in STEM jobs know that you often kind of get asked to do the girl stuff, mm-hmm. so, especially in the past, but even, even oh, I, I <laughs> yeah, I was I was a chemistry major and it was kind of like, oh, you're in the, this was in the 80s. It was kind of like, oh, you can clean the ga- glassware because you know how to wash dishes. I was like, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> that so, was my day to day at the office. So I'm not your secretary. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh-huh. Exactly. So Elsa, because this is the 1940s, her um, senior physicist kind of treats her like a secretary and has her mimeograph assignments, you know, papers for him. And at first she resists it. and um, and eventually she comes to peace with it. And when she realizes that she can do this for the resistance, so she um, mimeographs this copy, these copies of the resistance newspaper and then has to distribute them, which is was very dangerous work. And she is not the type of person who likes to make waves. She hates conflict. So for her, this requires a lot of courage, a lot of stepping outside of her comfort zone and um, you know finding depths with, within herself that she didn't know were there. So... It was fun to write. So what type of research did you have to do for it? And how long did it take you to write? Um, I write a book a year. So in general, it's a, a full year. Um, it's part research, part outlining. I'm a, I do a lot of my work. Bef- I do a lot of planning out my story before I write. You'll hear, talk to other authors who, who just have an idea and start writing. They don't know where it's going. I'm not one of those. I have to have an outline. I have to have each chapter. I know what's going to happen in each chapter. I really know who my characters are. And then I can dive into the rough draft. And I really feel like then I know what I'm doing. Yes. Research is an ongoing process. I I start off when I have, um, I'm submitting for my proposal so I can get a contract. Mm-hmm. And I do basic research to see, will my story idea work? And so at that point, I was reading up. I'd had a, a found a real man who rode the Danish Jews across, and his, his racing skull. He was an Olympic rower. He is the um, the inspiration for Henrik Elefelt. And so I made sure you know that that was something that could actually be done, and um, did did a little bit of background research to make sure my basic story worked. And then when I actually started working on it after I um, turned in my previous book, Until Leaves Fall in Paris. You know, that's when I start pulling out 
all, all the research materials that I've been gathering over the years and pull out my outline and start working on it. So I really dive deep into the research. So I learned about the about Denmark itself. Uh, unfortunately, thank you, COVID, I wasn't able to go to Denmark and it's killing me because I really love going to the places where I write, I write, set my stories. And this is the first place, um, well, other than I had a series set in North Africa in World War II, didn't go there. But uh, <laughs> um, this is, other than that, it's the first one I've not been able to visit. Um, so I just had to do a lot of research into Denmark, into the Danish culture, foods, um, picking up some of the language just so I could get the feel for it and how people spoke, uh, but really focusing on Denmark and World War II. So the resistance, the rescue of the Danish Jews, um, what life, everyday life was like in Denmark. Mm-hmm. And um, it's fascinating. It was a little more difficult to research some of my previous topics because the Danes are a very modest people. And if when people talk to them, they'll say, oh, we didn't do much during the war. We really didn't. It was nothing. And people who believe that way don't write their stories down. It's people who think I did an amazing things. I'm going to record it for posterity. And so because of that, there weren't a lot of these stories that were recorded. So there were a few people who went out who realized that these stories weren't getting written down and collected them. Unfortunately, a lot of those books are in Danish, which I do not read. So <laughs> I have to do a little research to find the ones that have been translated into English. So it's a, a little trickier. I'm glad this was my 15th book, not my first book. I don't, I don't think I could have done the research into this um, at a you know too much earlier, just because it, it required a little more tenacity and um, looking around corners to find things. <laughs> yeah. So Sarah, when the reader finishes. And they get to the last chapter in that period and they close the book. What do you want them to take away? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, there's so much about the story is about courage. And um, for Henrik, in a way, it's actually about courage to forgive, to confront his past, um, to confront his father, his father's influence on his life. Um, for him, physical courage comes easily. It's who he is. Um, he doesn't really have to think about it. For Elsa, Everything requires courage um, to confronting her boss, to, con- you know, to working for the resistance. And there's something that Henrik says to her early on. Um, she's very proud of herself because when her boss is mean to her, she just she holds her tongue. And, you know, she's very proud of herself. And he tells her, sometimes silence takes much courage. Mm-hmm. And I do believe that there's times when silence requires great courage, when you want to say something and you have to be very courageous not to say that or when um you know henrik faces a situation where if he speaks up people will get hurt mm-hmm. and has to, there's a times when silence does require that great courage but then he turns around and says to elsa but sometimes silence is nothing but cowardice and <laughs> and then elsa has to figure out is she or is her silence in the face of somebody being mean to her is that her being courageous and not lashing back at that person or is she being cowardly and not confronting that person? So I think it's a a way to, I'm hoping the readers will, you know, do a little introspection into um, when, when is it best that I keep silent and not speak up? Because there are, honestly, I think that's probably um, (laughs) in our society where we, we say everything on our mouth and um, yeah, there's a lot of things that are spoken that really should not be spoken. And so sometimes I think we could do with a little bit more silence in our culture, but there are times when we need to speak up and we need to speak up 
you know, as the scripture tells us in truth and in love, um, that being compassionate and kind to those people that we speak to, um, not pounding them out over the head with truth, because guess what? Nobody likes that and it doesn't work. But when we're respectful and kind to the people as we as we confront them in love, they are more a more likely to re- listen to us, um, and b more likely to do what we ask them to do. <laughs> so, um, just I think a little bit of respect goes a whole lot of way. Yeah. So people will be able to be a little introspective as they read the story and wonder how that might apply in their own lives. Yeah. Well, Sarah, what's next for you? Oh, the next book I'm writing is set in London during the Blitz, and. I have a BBC radio correspondent, so this is fun. I, he gets to, be, you know, he's you know live on the radio with Hugh Collingwood. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> it's a lot of fun, and um, he's a fun character. And my heroine is a Dutch refugee. Uh, when she fled from the Netherlands, um, when the Germans were coming, she was separated from her little boy, mm-hmm. and she knows that he's been believes that he was being on his way to England. There's a lot of story. Actually, the, the teaser chapter for that book is in the back of The Sound of Lights. Oh, How Aleda gets separated from her little boy. It's heartbreaking. So she is desperately searching for her son in London and she enlists the, the, um, the efforts of my BBC correspondent. And meanwhile, bombs are falling in London. And meanwhile, also people start showing up dead and people who are connected to Hugh and he's wondering what is going on. So fun, fun story. <laughs> oh, well, I'm excited to read all of those. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for coming and spending time out of your busy day with us here at Family Fiction. And everyone, February 7th, go out to your local Christian bookstore or wherever you buy your books and pick up The Sound of Light. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Family Fiction's Christian Fiction Bookshelf Podcast. Stay up to date on all things Christian fiction at familyfiction.com. Christian Fiction Bookshelf is produced by Ross Kluver, hosted by Jamie Vaughn, and edited by Brandon Woolham. Subscribe today wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss a chapter.